Welcome to the podcast of the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Jared Stanford entitled "The Waiting Room." If you have your Bibles, you can go to Isaiah the fortieth chapter, starting with verse twenty-eight. Isaiah forty, starting with verse twenty-eight. On a topic this morning called the waiting room. As many of us go through life, I can tell you there's a time that each and every one of us will step into this room. You're not exempt from it. If you're a Christian, you're not exempt. And if you're not a Christian, you're still not exempt. You're going to come to a point where you're going to have to be waiting on something that is out of your control that you have, cannot do anything about. And this morning I want to speak to you about that. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Has thou not known, has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching for his understanding. I could stop right there. And preach you a sermon on how our God is always there. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always there to pick you up. He's the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. And his strength and his power never faints. He never gets weary. That's our God. That's who we serve. Verse 29 says, He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fail. Verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles, with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Very familiar passage of scripture this morning but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength if you could one more time stretch your hand this way and ask for God just to have his way in me to to speak what he has laid upon my heart Lord I thank you for this opportunity that you have given me to speak your word Lord I pray God that every every penmanship the God that went on this paper God was inspired by you God, that you spoke to me, God, to give this word to this people in this time, God. You knew who was here. You knew who needed to hear it. And this morning, God, your word would go out and accomplish that, God, what needs to be accomplished. Lord, I pray, God, that you would use me, anoint me, God, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Lord, that I will be a servant to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The waiting room. This is an uncomfortable place to be. I would, I, some could call it the uncomfortable middle of, of something that is ending between two valleys, if you want to say, in the Old Testament, where wars took place was in between two mountains in a valley. That would be what we consider now the modern-day waiting room, where there's a war going on in between two places. It's a place of uncertainty. It's uncomfortable. It's a place that will test your strength, your faith, and your belief. The waiting room is a place we find ourselves oftentimes. 
of life-changing circumstances. I think of a waiting room in an ER. We're allowed to go back to the waiting room and sit there with, with your loved one or whoever it is as long as the situation don't get out of control. But the moment and the point that that situation there takes a turn for the worst and uh, a life is hanging in the balance, the doctor takes you to the waiting room. And in that waiting room, there's nothing you can do but sit and wait. There's life changing things happening beyond the doors that you cannot see and you're asked to wait. One of the hardest things as Christians is that room right there, the waiting room. Room, Lord, what do I do? You don't know what's going on back there. You, it's out of your hands. It's out of your control. You can't fix it. You have to wait. And you have to wait. But the moment life turns to that situation and gets out of control and there's life hanging in the balance, you're sent to the waiting room. See, it's because while you're escorted out of the waiting room, it's because there's a battle fixing to take place in there that you do not need to see. That if you witness what was about to happen with his life, unbelief and fear would grip you right then. You would say, the odds are not in my favor. The circumstances, God, it, it will never happen. So you're put in the waiting room not to see that. I think of the children of Israel as they are let out, as Pharaoh lets them go. The Bible says there was a quicker way to the promised land. But they couldn't go that way because the battles they were going to have to face when they got there, they was not ready for. But so they were put in the waiting room, in the wilderness. The wilderness, the waiting room can be a wilderness experience and off time, it is. It is. And in that waiting room, the children of Israel said, got, got started murmuring and complaining, even though the promise was to them. The promise lied beyond the doors that they could not see. The situation they could not change. They just had to believe the promise that God had set before them. But what do we find them doing in the waiting room? They, even though God was sustaining them, even though God was giving them manna to eat every morning and water to drink, provision, they give them shelter, a cloud in the day and a fire by night to follow. He didn't leave them in the waiting room. He won't leave you there. He's there. But oftentimes we cannot stand to sit there and wait. And the children of Israel looked back and said it would be better if we went back to Egypt. It would be better if we went back into a life, into a situation there. And they started murmuring and complaining and their beliefs went down and they set up false idols and worshipped them. They done everything they could to turn their back on God in the middle of this waiting room. And that's where we as Christians find ourselves at all times. It's a situation out of our control. We can't do anything about it, and we want to turn back. We want to turn to those things. I want us to examine the life of Simon Peter for a minute, who is a perfect example of this. In Luke chapter 5, we'll find the calling out of Simon Peter. Luke chapter 5, verse 3, and it says, He entered into one of the ships, which is Jesus, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. The first thing you see here in the start of, of Simon's ministry is Jesus entered into his ship. That day he entered in his ship and taught from his ship. 
And as he was sitting there teaching and those things out of Simon Peter's ship, and he taught, and he asked them then to launch out into the deep and cast their nets. That's the same way it is. If you're a Christian here today, this is a perfect example of salvation. At one point, Jesus entered into your ship one day, into your life, into your thing, and he taught in your ship, and your heart burned within you. And then he asked you to trust me. He asked Simon, he said, trust me, Simon. Will you launch this ship out into the deep? He's saying, will you trust me with your life and follow me into the deep? And Simon tells him in Luke chapter 5, Master, we've done that. We've toiled all night and we have caught nothing. And that's the way a life of sin is. Toiling in the darkness and night and you catch nothing and you become weary and everything. And Jesus knows that. He says, I know that, but will you trust me this time to go out into the deep? Will you do it with me? So Simon Peter says, nevertheless, I will. I will go there and cast out. Simon obeys the word of Jesus. The calling out will always require an obedient answer. I'm going to say that one more time. The calling out will always require an obedient answer. A call to action. When you were saved, a call to action was placed upon your life to go out and trust in God. That calling out, got he called out and, 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 and Simon fell at Jesus' feet and said, I'm a sinful man. After they cast the net and they, they had a multitude of fish and it blessed not only them but everybody else. Your salvation not only blesses you and your family, but blesses everybody else that's around you. And it's a calling out and and Simon falls at Jesus' feet and says, I'm a sinful man. He repents. And Jesus tells him from that day forth, he tells him in Luke chapter 5, in the end of verse 10, fear not. Won't you remember that? Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Thou shalt catch men. And they forsook all and they followed him. I want to ask you today, are you still at Jesus' feet daily? Are you still taking up your cross and following after him after he has come into your ship and life and changed you? Do you remember the night you fell at his feet and said, God, I give it all to you and how it felt so good and how you was ready to tell everybody else? Can I ask you, is the passion still there today to follow him? For the next three years, we see that Simon would follow Christ and, because, and become one of his closest friends and disciples. He would see countless miracles. He would see blinded eyes open, deaf speaking. He would see provision of the fish and the bread where, where he took it to a multitude and, and, and a miracle happened and it turned and defeated everybody. Provision. He would see Lazarus come back to life. He would see dead things come back to life. Peter was one of those that, that when the storm come, hopped out of the, the boat, hopped out of the boat and followed Jesus. Peter was one of the three that got called up to the Mount Transfiguration and witnessed something nobody else was able to witness. The glory, of the glory of God shone upon that mountain. This was Peter's life. Peter was one of the ones that would have a, a, a profound revelation when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you are Christ. You are, you are the Messiah. You are Christ. You are him. And Jesus said, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but only my Father. Peter has this revelation. And at that time, Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, which means the rock. 
and tells him, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. This is the Peter we're talking about. This is the Peter. Some of you have walked long lives with, with God. You have seen things God has provided for you. God has come through for you time after time after time again. But where are you at today? The next time we see Peter after this is when he enters into the waiting room. In Matthew 26 and 37 was the night when Christ went into the garden, went into the waiting room. In verse 37 of Matthew 26, and he says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Terry, wait. Wait here and watch with me while I go a little further. That night Peter was placed in the waiting room, a place that Jesus knew he would be because he had done told him one time before, Peter, there's coming a time in your life that the devil is going to come after you. But I'm praying for you, Peter, that your faith does not fail you. He told Peter that. There's a time the waiting room did not catch Jesus off guard. And he sets him there. He says, Peter, stay right here. I'm going a little further. Wait and watch and pray with me. I'm leaving you in the waiting room. Because I'm going through them doors where life-changing things are happening. Things that you do not understand, Peter. Something that I'm just going to have to face that I just need you to be there for me and sit here in this waiting room and pray because you don't understand this. You don't understand what's about to take place. Watch here and pray with me. The Bible says Jesus comes back and Peter's asleep. And he asked him, Peter, could you not just wait and watch with me one hour. Could you not just wait and watch and pray one hour? That your soul don't enter into temptation. Could you not do that? There's a battle going on for your life, for your purpose, for your destiny. And Jesus goes back and prays and he comes back and they're asleep again. And he goes back and comes back and he just leaves them alone. He said, okay, now is the time. It's here. It's here. That night, in that waiting room, Peter failed. He failed. God said, could you wait, watch, and pray? The waiting room experience is, is not something you've got to do a lot in. It's just you've got to wait, and you've got to pray, and you've got to watch. That's all you have to do. In reality, yes, that's it. But we get so impatient. We get so uncomfortable and and don't know what's going on that we think we've got to take it into our own hands. And the next thing we see is Peter pulling out his sword and chopping off one of the servants of the priest's ear. He tried to take a situation that he did not understand into his own hands and make something out of it. That's where we fail. We try to take the situation and make it, make it what we want to make it and do what we want to do with it. Because that's the way we are. Because it's not in our, it's not in our control. We feel out of place. And if Jesus wouldn't have stepped in at that point and restored the ear, there's no telling what would have happened that night. Watch and pray. 
Peter was trying to take the matters, like I say, into his own hands. In the waiting room, you cannot take matters into your own hands. You will only make it worse. Now, the next time we see Peter, he's denying Jesus. He's still in the waiting room. He's still there. Three times, in Matthew 26, verse 74, it says, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. The third time, I don't know the man. I don't know him. The waiting room can make you start denying Jesus. The waiting room can, can make you say, God, where are you at? God, are you even real in this situation? I'm sitting here. I feel alone. I feel scared. Things are happening that I cannot, cannot do anything about. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? We let the situation get the best of us, and this is what Peter done. And he says, when he done it the third time, and, and he seen the rooster crow, he wept bitterly and went off. Why did he do that? Got to studying this, we read that Peter swore and cursed. And we assume he used profanity or curse words. However, the Greek word for curse or cursed is anathema, meaning to declare one liable to the severest penalties. It can refer to banishing or to excommunicate. Peter was not using profanity in this situation. But he was basically saying this, if I do know Christ, let me come under a curse. To the Jewish mind, he was saying, let God excommunicate me if I know this man. Let God cut himself off from me if I know Jesus. It brings a whole new revelation to Peter denying Christ. And we wonder why Peter took it so hard after this, after the rooster crow and he wept and he went and he locked himself in a room because basically he thought, he told God, listen, if I, if I don't know him, cut me off, God. Cut me off. And that's where we get in the middle of our waiting room. Things happen and we deny Christ and we say, God, are you even real? And we think we do something unforgivable. And that's what Peter thought. I've done something so bad that God will never love me again. God can never forgive me again. Can I tell you this morning, I'm here, that he can. Because the next time we see Peter is after the resurrection. And Mary goes to the tomb. And there's an angel there. And she says, go and tell the Peter, go tell the disciples and Peter that I am risen. At that point, Jesus was already looking for Peter. Always looking because he knew that what Peter had failed and what he had done, Peter thought he could never be forgiven. Can I tell you this morning in your waiting room, you might have turned your back on God. At one time, Christ could have, has entered in your ship and you lived a Christian life, but your life circumstances and storms come your way and you've turned your back on God and you've went back and you think, I've done something unforgivable. God will never forgive me. I can tell you this morning, he's already looking for you. He's already looking for you. The next time we see Peter after this, he runs to the tomb and he, looked, he looks at all that what has been done and he's still in unbelief and he goes back and he locks himself with some more disciples in a house. He locks himself out of fear. When you turn back on God, you'll seclude yourself. Fear will grip your life and you'll think there's no way out. Peter was fearful and Jesus showed up in the middle of that room 
and talked to them. And he left. And he come back when Thomas was there. And he showed up in the middle of the room again and let Thomas touch his, his side in his hands. And Jesus was telling them, he had already told them before that to go to Galilee. That's where you'll see me again. He tells them in that, that, that you should go. In Mark 14, 28, it says, But after I am risen, he told the disciples this, I will go before you into Galilee. He also tells them in Matthew 28 and 10 and Mark 16 and 7, I will go to Galilee and you'll see me there again. Jesus is looking for you this morning. The waiting room experience has been hard on you. It's been a life that, you, that, that you've turned back. And he's saying, I'm already gone before you. Why was he, why, this is just me, preacher, why did he say go back to Galilee? Well, in, in Luke chapter 5, this is, that says, in John 21 was where we're going to go next. But in John 21, they're at the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. It's the same thing, sea that, that Jesus had met Simon Peter the first time in his life. It's the same place that, Simon, that Peter got called out of. Was in Luke, was in John 21. Turn there for just a second. And it says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And this wise he showed himself. There was Simon and Peter. I'm going to skip down to verse 3. Simon Peter said unto them, I go fishing. They said unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth, entered into a ship, and immediately, and that night they caught nothing. That night they caught nothing. They went back to the place Jesus met them the first time. We don't know how long they were there waiting. We don't know after Jesus seen them after the resurrection in the room and told them you need to go to Galilee. We don't know how many days it was before they, that he got there. Could Peter got impatient while he was at Galilee? And could they have got hungry and said, what are we going to do and Peter steps up and says, I go fishing. Well, in Luke chapter 5, when he calls Peter out, he says, Fear not, and from henceforth you shall catch men. Impatience. Peter again got impatience waiting on God to show up at the Sea of Galilee. He got impatient, and he says, I'm going to take life into my own hands again. I'm going to go back to something God called me out of. The waiting room can be so hard that it does that you seem like it pushes you back to a life that God called you out of in the beginning, a life of sin. And it ended up the same. It said they got into the boat and they fished all night and they caught nothing. The same thing happened in Luke chapter 5 when he said, cast your nets, go out in the deep. And Jesus and uh, Simon Peter says, we've done that already. All night long we've done that. We've told. Does it sound familiar? John chapter 21 and Luke chapter 5. Sounds so familiar. They went back to something that God had called them out of. And if you're not careful in the waiting room, that's where you'll find yourself. And it says in verse 21, chapter 21, verse 4, But when morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And I tell you, it's morning for somebody in here today. Jesus don't show up on the, in the boat with Peter this time. Jesus shows up on the shore. Jesus already entered your life one time 
and you left him. You left him back on the shore. So Jesus just don't miraculously appear in the boat while they're all out there fishing. He stands at the shore and says, will you come back to me? I've come to you once. In Luke chapter 5, I entered your ship and I taught. And you fell at my feet and said, I'm a sinful man. And you repented and I called you out to catch men. And I told you to fear not that things were going to happen in your life. Circumstances were going to come. Storms were going to come. And you've went back. So I'm standing at the shore this morning saying, will you come back to me? Will you come back to me? How do we get out of the waiting room? Luke, John 21, 5 says, Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. They don't. Without Jesus, you'll never have any meat. Without Jesus, you'll never have any substance. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore none, and now they were not able to draw for the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Notice this. Now when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he was girt with his fisher's coast unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. You see what a life done to Peter that night? of leaving Jesus because he got caught in the waiting room. It was a life that was just like before. Fished all night, toiled all night, caught nothing, hungry, naked, afraid. The devil will come after you and beat you down and try to take everything he has from you. He will try to overcome you and, 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 and come at you in every way imaginable. And for Peter, it was to go back fishing. So they look, and it says, Peter cast himself into the sea. And I'm going to skip down. Verse number 9. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. If you come back to God, he's got it all right there. He's got the fire again that you need in your life. He's got the bread, the word of God, the provision you need again in your life. It's fixed. Jesus had them a meal prepared on the shore if you just come back to him. The fire represents the power of God in his life again. The bread represents the word of God in his life again. We can see a similar situation in Isaiah chapter 6 when the seraphim flew across and grabbed a fire coal off the altar and put it on Isaiah's lips. And Isaiah said, Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And what the coal did is purge the sin out of his life. When Peter jumped into the sea and swam back to Jesus, he had that setting there, a fire to purge and say, I forgive you, Peter. A meal to say, you can find rest in me, Peter. A meal that says, you don't have to worry about it anymore. I can take care of you if you will follow me. And then we go on and Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. And he tells him, well, feed my sheep. And they asked him again, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus said, yes, God, I love you. And we could go through this about them different meanings of love in that, in that text there. And Jesus says, Peter, do you agape love me? 
Do you love me with all your life? Now, do you see that without me, you cannot do it? Do you see that you're going to have to go through some trials and and situations and go through some storms? You're going to be put in the waiting room to try to increase your faith. But do you see while you're there, you cannot do it without me? Do you love me that much to truly follow me? Do you agape love me, Peter? Because before that, when he used the word love, it was just love like a friend. Peter would answer him back like love like a friendship. If you're going to give it all to God, you've got to love him more than a friend. You've got to love him unconditional. You've got to love him through the waiting room. You've got to love him through the storms. You've got to love him through every situation. And Peter says, you know I love you. And Jesus tells him to feed his sheep. He's calling him to serve. He's calling him to serve. If you would stand with me, Chad makes his way back to the piano. So I ask you this morning, two things. One, if God has never showed up in your boat and you've never become a Christian, now he's here this morning. He's all up in your world. He's all up in your mess. He's all up in your, your darkness. And he wants to call you out into a life. That with him, you won't have to toil all night. With him, you won't be weary anymore. Will there be trials? Will there be situations you have to go through? Yes. But guess what? You're going to go through them anyway. Why not go with them with somebody that can love you like nobody else? Somebody that can give you the strength. Somebody that can give you things to help you through those waiting room experiences. The waiting room is not designed to drive you backwards. The waiting room is designed to increase your faith. Because Peter had a church to build. Peter had, had a, a calling upon his life. And the devil tried to wreck that. The devil tried to take that away. Can I tell you, you have a calling upon your life. And I don't know where you stand at this morning. But the other person I want to speak to is those who are in the waiting room. And it's getting tough. You might have been there long and you might have turned your back and you might have went back to something God has called you out of. And he's here this morning standing at these altars and saying, I'm here, come to me. Come to me. If you come to me, I'll have what you need right here. I'll have fire. I'll have bread. I'll have comfort. I'll have love. I'll have peace. I can get you through this situation. And I want to speak to the church now. For the past 25 years, the church has been in the waiting room. I come out of the church where the power of God was demonstrated mightily. So the past 25 years, I believe the church has been right here in the waiting room. Holiness is no longer the standard of living. We've went back fishing. R.G. Sperling, who started the Church of God in the foothills of North Carolina, he got tired of the way things were. He got tired of the way church operated. And he said, we've got to get back to holy living. We've, we've done that in the last 25 years. We've turned our back 
We've turned our back on morals. We've turned our back on holiness. We've turned our back on sanctification. We've turned our back on the whole word rightly divided. We've turned our back on the cross. My word is time for the church to come out of the waiting room. You ask some of the old holiness Christians that are still around, this is what gets me. You ask them, what, what are you doing? And I'm just waiting on the Lord. Just waiting on the Lord. Church, we've been waiting on the Lord. He never called us to sit there and wait. He said, go ye into all the world and preach my gospel. We have got, as a church, have got caught up in the waiting room. And we've let the storms and we've come in these doors and we never go back out into the world proclaiming the gospel. We as a church have to get back to a fire for God, a love for God, a servant heart for God. We've got to get back to that. So I read to you again this morning, Isaiah 31, 40, 31. But those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles, wings as eagles. They shall run, not be weary. They shall walk, and they shall not faint. Give it back to God this morning. The Hebrew word for renew in this verse means to restore something that has withered or fallen because it flourished. It has to be rebuilt again. leave you with this and we'll have an altar call. Everybody knows about the eagle and why he uses the eagle here as a representation. Because the eagle experiences a molten period where he loses his feathers and it's not pretty. The eagle's not beautiful anymore. He's not, he can't even fly. He's grounded. And it's a waiting period that he cannot do anything about till his feathers grows back. God saying this morning it's time to come out of the waiting room and flourish again mount up as wings as eagles that we shall run in this last days a race we, and we won't grow weary we shall walk and we shall not faint if you would bow your heads with me Lord I shared my heart with you this morning Now, I pray, God, if there's anybody here, which I know there is, Lord, if there's anybody here that needs you first and foremost and accept you as Christ in their life to help them through these times and troubles that can give them peace and joy and provision and restoration and happiness, I pray, Lord, that they will come to these altars. Lord, I pray, God, that there's people that's been in the waiting room they've asked where you are that this morning you're telling them I'm right up here time to come out I've got fresh fire fresh bread provision for you this morning if you're one that says I want to ask God into my life he has showed up and he has spoke to me I want to accept God if you would just lift your hands up in this place if there's any here that says, I've been in the waiting room, Brother Jared. It's been hard. I'm weary. I'm tired. I don't know if I make it. I've asked God, where are you? 
I've even think, thought about turning back. Some of you may have turned back. If that's you this morning, just slip your hands up. This word is spoken to you as Chad sings this course. I pray that you examine your heart. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at forcehillcog.org or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.